leading off for the Rockies and playing in center field, number 19, Charlie Blackman. Hello and welcome to Shroom for Two, the Plants vs. Zombies Heroes podcast coming at you with exciting play-by-play action of the National League wildcard baseball game that you already know the outcome of. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor, who won't be doing that. Yeah, it is uh, currently one nothing Colorado over Chicago in the third, and uh, more on that as it already developed. So what's going on in the Fight Club, Mike? If there's anything I know about Fight Clubs, it's that you're supposed to talk about them. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Fight Club's been fun. I've... Since we recorded last week, I have gone 6-1 and one and uh, beat up on a Neptuna and a huge Giganticus, which felt really nice. I went and I crafted a third Pecanolith, so now I have enough Pecanoliths to try running a Pecanolith nut deck, and that has been really good for me so far. I hit ultimate using that deck and a handful of other things to ladder, including a really weird Captain Combustible deck that is chock full of legendaries and good stuff that I don't I don't really know what to call it or like I don't know if this is a mid-range deck or a tempo deck or what but it's just a good things deck that wins all the time uh yeah so looking at it uh here which you can also see it in the show notes it looks to me like a mid-range deck that also contains repeat moss so you've got you know kind of like mostly either value cards like high voltage current and um black IP and stuff and uh fireweed and Captain Combustible to like just kind of get good cards and beat your opponent on rate. And then you've also got just some like heavy hitters like Banasaurus Rex and uh, Potatosaurus and Colonel Corn. But then you also just randomly have four extra Pete Moss to just like get them. Yeah, it feels very similar to my banana deck where I'm just trying to get one of these big heavy hitters to get super buffed up and get through and kill you really quickly doing like nine, ten damage in one turn. And it definitely did a pretty good job of that. I haven't run Colonel Corn in a while, and that's been nice. And it's also, uh, I don't have a lot of ways to deal with water creatures in this deck, and that is one of them. So it's a kind of a late, late, late water removal. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been real good. It looks like a repeat moss deck, but, you know, instead of having a bunch of random tricks, you just have, like, random good creatures. So, like, you're not running Banana Peel or Fertilizer. You are running Berry Blast and Plant Food, but, you know, you're, you've just kind of got, like, Fireweeds and Captain Combustible and... Um, Velociradish Hunter and, and stuff like that. It's also got the advantage of if I just play the Repeat Moss, that is immediately going to get my opponent's attention, even if it just means that they have to drop an expensive Gravestone in front of that lane the next turn. That will free up me to drop down a Potatosaurus or whatever and come at them with, with the left hook when they're waiting on the right. Yeah, it's, it's a good way to uh, to zag instead of zigging. And, you know, for, for a four-cost creature, you know, you are kind of paying a hefty price to misdirect your opponent in that way. Um, but if that does work, then you've got some some real haymakers to throw. Yeah, and I also will use it as just like a little mini control thing where I'll drop the repeat moss and then throw off either a berry blast or meteor to kill two of their creatures right then and there. Just use it as a little bit of field clear is pretty nice too. Yeah, given that you've got, you know, kind of a built-in source of one cost tricks, you know, namely your superpowers, um, just kind of like value repeat moss is a thing that you're capable of doing. Yeah, and sometimes you get a trick off of high voltage current. Like I I got bailed out by a conjured cherry bomb a lot using the stack. Or even like getting a grape power, which then itself spawns another trick, is uh is quite the boon as well. Yeah, it seems good. And you got Captain Combustible to make him cheap and stuff. So this deck seems cool. Yeah, me and the captain make it happen. Do you mind uh posting your beta caratina nut deck as well? Um, I'm a little torn on that, because now that I'm in this competitive league, I kind of don't want to post any of more of my BC or Citron decks, lest I give away too many of my sweet Tekkens. Although, anyone out That's there fair. who would like to get a competitive advantage over me, feel free to go back and listen to every episode of Shroom for Two, where we talk about Beta Caratina all the time. That is true. Uh, Pecanolith is certainly something that I like to build all kinds of decks with. Uh, so you could probably find some some stuff like that in our episode history. But yeah, that's fair if you don't want to reveal your technology. I will say that I'm also running 3-Nut with it as well. And honestly, if you want to look at the decks, there are some videos of me playing them out on our YouTube page. I started a little uh, super secret team fight club Citron Beta Caratina playlist that is holding all of my fights. But uh, I'm not going to spill all 40 of my beans. Sure. That's a funny thing to say. 
Uh, and if you want to hear us uh, talk about Mike's Fight Club stuff off the show, you can check out our Discord where uh, some talks about that happen as well. Yes, yes. And uh, we also got some sweet new podcast art from uh, a Twitter artist I follow. They are at uh, one trick Tefani, T O F A N I. And they do cool art and avatars. And they drew us a little Shroom for Two avatar, which I believe is now our the art on our uh, YouTube page. Oh, cool. I have nothing else to say. Yeah. Other than that, I've been uh, getting my Halloween costume ready since we are now in October. And uh, anyone who wants to see me dressed as Bowsette, donate to our Patreon. Good thing we don't have one of those. Yeah. All right, everybody, time for card of the week. Uh, and given that it is Don't Be a Frady Week in PVZ Heroes, we got the Frady Cat. This is a one-cost beastly card. It is a pet zombie, and it is a 2-2. And it says, when a plant trick is played, this gets plus one, plus one, and moves to a random lane. Kind of a uh, zombie version of um, Black Eyed Pea, sort of. But even better from the movement, because... That will lead to some tough decisions that your opponent has to make about, like, say, your Frady Cat in lane one triggers their block meter. If they play the superpower right now, your cat's going to get buffed up and it will attack again that turn. Yeah, that's right. The sort of the combat math um, is always kind of screwed up by these things that can move like at, at, uh, at instant speed that way. Uh, so this is definitely a really good card. It being a pet means that it kind of naturally slots into the, the cat lady thing. But, Mike, you've got some decks here that do not go down that road, so uh, tell me about those. Well, I think I kind of dislike traditional pet decks, mostly because they're really bad at drawing cards and rely is very tempo-based in maintaining the stuff you have on the board, and if a couple of your things get killed, it can be hard to catch up. But Frady Cat is so good that you can run it in all kinds of Beastly Hero decks. In fact, I think... The best uh, partner for this card is the Cheese Cutter, another 1-mana 2-2 card, because, say, you play both of those on turn 2, your opponent is probably only going to be able to deal with one of them. That's a reasonable point. But yeah, this first deck I made was a um, pretty standard Hunting Grounds deck. I think I might have made this specific version for uh, Hover Goat Week, but it, you know, and those I think are the, yeah, those and Hunting Grounds are the only actual pets in this deck. The rest of them are just uh, good things with high health, and some of them have Frenzy. You know, so you've got, like, Energy Drink Zombie and Bounty Hunter and uh, Supernova Garg and a couple of other Gargantuars at the high end. Ancient Vampire, too. Yeah, uh, two, two of of Ancient Vampire, because, like, I'm not super reliant on that as a win condition. It is just a thing that is occasionally very nice to have, and there's uh, not a lot of other water lane stuff in here. Yeah, sure, Hover Goat is amphibious, but you are probably not going to play that in the water lane instead of playing it in front of something. Yeah, I mean, unless you wanted to, like, snipe a navy bean or something. Um, but so we've talked a bit about Ancient Vampire before, certainly in the context of Hunting Grounds. You know, Hunting Grounds is kind of weird in that, like, what it says is your opponent will play stuff in the lane that the Hunting Grounds is in so your dude doesn't hunt. And Ancient Vampire and uh, one of your other cards in here, uh, the Bounty Hunter, um, are ones that can kind of take advantage of that. Something else I think that's good about the Ancient Vampire in the context of Hunting Grounds is that it's able to hunt out of the grounds into the water. Like, that's something that's really easy to forget as a plant player. Um, I know I've kind of gotten owned by that, by, like, you know, playing a random bean or something in the water lane, and then all of a sudden the dude that is pretty much, like, designed to kill beans uh, runs out of the Hunting Grounds, gets big, and then plops itself in the water lane to be... Um, to be ready to attack whatever I've got in there. I think a big underrated hero of this deck is Escape Through Time, because okay. so much of the uh, the trades you'll be doing is based on combat with stuff with Frenzy, and being able to keep your energy drink zombie or your Frady Cat or whatever alive for another turn so it can just uh, rip through a couple of things and hit face, uh, that adds up pretty fast, because a lot of the stuff in this deck grows and gets bigger and bigger attack really quickly so being able to connect with face for one extra time when your opponent thinks that they're trading is uh sometimes enough to win you the game yeah and i mean you know, it's funny to think of escape through time as being something that's underrated like it used to be like absolutely everywhere back when it cost one but you know costing two i think is a is a good place for it to be in a in a deck like this because it's you know the effect that you're getting by keeping one of these creatures alive which are going to be kind of beefier both in virtue of just being large and also from having grown from hunting grounds. You know, keeping that stuff alive and being able to get an extra hit on face, um, that really is worth two. 
Whereas back in the day, when this cost one, that would be absolutely busted. For sure. And, you know, since it got nerfed, it is less frequently seen, which means it's not thought about as much from your opponent's point of view. Not as frequently played around. Yeah, and sometimes you can get a Valkyrie, and suddenly you're Valkyrie Smash. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So tell me about this other one. Okay, so long-time devoted listeners might remember back when we had our budget tournament episode, where one of the decks I entered in that was a fill-the-field-with-cheap-things smash deck that also played the Primeval Yeti, which is a 5-mana 4-4 that when you evolve it on something, it gives your entire field plus 2 plus 2. I certainly remember uh, getting my ass kicked by that. Yeah, and so I went back and uh, dusted off that old, um, probably more fun than good archetype, but it, it's still pretty fun, and Frady Cat is the exact kind of cheap, good effect creature that you want in this kind of deck. You know, so you, you got your flag zombies out there, so you can play stuff like Cheese Cutter and Frady Cat and Gladiator for free, which is a really big help. I got inspired to bring back Stompadon, because of one of my opponents in Fight Club was running a Contra Neptuna, where they had Flag Zombie, which enabled them to follow that up with a zero-mana buried treasure, and then evolve it with ah. Stomp it on, and immediately get the Dino Roar proc on turn three, which is a really cool combo, and uh, this is cool not quite as good as that, in that the only uh, sources of card draw I have are uh, Middle Manager and Going Viral. And like honestly, I could yeah, going viral. Going viral doesn't really count, you know, because it's it's not just like a random cantrip. It's like a very affirmative, expensive spell. Right, and you're looking for cheap things if you're running a stomp it on. Honestly, I might swap those out with uh, Intergalactic Warlord. Hmm. But I I mostly just wanted to dust off stomp it on because it has uh, been a while since we've rocked and rolled. Yeah, there's a fair amount of just professional biz in here as well. Yeah, you've got, like, Fossil Head, and I think even the Primeval Yeti is a professional, isn't it? Um, I forget. Oh, no, he's a, he's a monster. Never mind. Um, he's he's holding a lunchbox, not a briefcase. My bad. Yeah, he's a, he's just a consultant. Right. But, yeah, I mean, this seems pretty cool. Um, I, I like the two of uh, Snorkel Zombie as a way to um, randomly have the, the professional, or the... We're going to have the Primeval Yeti show up in the water. Exactly. That is the exact reason it's there. And also, as a a thing to preempt a turn one Lima Pluridon. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was looking for, um, you know, back in the budget version, I relied on that heavily because I wanted things that I could play for zero with Flag Zombie out and then be able to evolve all those things on the turn I played them with the Yeti. But, you know, if, if you don't draw the Yeti, you're kind of sold out of luck here and hoping for like some awesome professional synergies. And it does run into the same problem that regular pets do, where sometimes you just run out of steam. If I recall what happened in the game that we played, looking at the curve, kind of the natural time to play Flag Zombie is turn three for this, because then you turn three, uh, your one cost, you play the Flag Zombies, you got one mana left over, your one cost guys are free, and you have one left over to play a two drop. And then on the next turn... The, the Yeti costs four instead of five, so you can evolve it right away. Yeah. Um, I usually save the one mana on turn three for like either a superpower or Rolling Stone, just something to help ensure that the flag zombie gets, stays alive. Right, the flag zombie has to live in order for that to work. Yeah, and it also helps if you have some other threat on the board at the same time, because flag zombie is a berry blast magnet, but right. Frady Cat and Cheese Cutter are also berry blast magnets. Very true. I mean, honestly, presented with a cheese cutter and, and a flag zombie, I would probably take the... Fl- well, I guess it depends on what kind of deck I was playing. If I thought I could beat you in the late game, um, I would probably shoot the flag zombie. Uh, but if I thought that I had to um, to beat you right away, I would shoot the cheese cutter. Having to force your opponent into tough decisions like that will sometimes lead to them making the wrong decision, and you can take advantage of that. And then surprise them with your crazy Yeti field. Absolutely. Yeah, I certainly didn't see it coming when you were playing against me. Uh, kind of light on removal here. You just got the pair of Rolling Stones. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Squirrel Herder is kind of removal. It is. Like, uh, those are in there just so I can eat a Sergeant Strongberry or maybe a Planet of the Grapes. But, uh, yeah, it is light on removal, and it did definitely run into that problem of I can only put 40 cards into this, and... Since I am running Stompin' On, I erred on the side of, 
let's put in cards that are actual creatures to help the stomping on synergy. That's reasonable. Um, and, you know, for decks that want to have a really linear strategy like this, where, like, you have a plan, and if you can stick to that plan, you win, and if you don't, you probably lose. You know, you don't have quite as many flex slots to play, you know, random removal spells that, like, might be useful or might not. And so um, that's honestly a more defensible strategy in this kind of deck than it is in most. Yeah, and if you're trying to go big and go wide at the same time, then worrying about a single threat your opponent has out is less of a big deal. Right. Yeah, there's not a lot of ways to um, to buff your entire team like this. You know, the, the at least plus two, plus two to your whole team from a single card, like, that's a bad five-mana spell. Uh, when that five-mana spell is attached to what is effectively a five mana six six because if you buff the Ye- if you get the yeti buffed it buffs itself you know that makes it a lot better yeah and sometimes you you don't even need the huge field to for for yeti to be nice you know maybe if you just have a a snorkel zombie and a gladiator that that is often enough to uh, decide it's yeti time because dealing with a six six in the water lane that you can later give frenzy to is a tall order. Yeah, seems good. So, uh, Frady Cat, these are two very different strategies that both uh, kind of make their own use of Frady Cat, taking advantage of the fact that it uh, is its own kind of lightning rod, and that if they deal with one of your other cheap lightning rods, like Cheese Cutter or Gladiator, then the Frady Cat gets big and is able to be even better for you. It's also a very good secret agent target, because the way your opponent's going to deal with this is by playing you know, a 2-3 a or a 2-2 two, two or whatever in front of it instead of having to play a removal trick. So say on turn 2, you, you play your Frady Cat and they counter with a Click P. You can uh, Secret Agent that out of there and then redeploy it as a 5-5 five, five next turn. Yeah, it seems pretty good. Secret Agent also procking uh, Stompadon, you know. Ooh. Oh, hmm. That's something to think about. Oh, you know what? I bet that's not true. Never mind. Cut that out. <laughs> well, only one way to find out. Hey, Future Mike here. Turns out that Secret Agent does not proc Stompadon, and neither does other stuff that returns to your hand, like Hover Goat. Okay, time for the feature segment of this week. It is another installment of Crowd Decking, where we solicit our listeners to send in their version of a popular deck archetype, and we pour over the data and geek out. And this week, we are doing the Onion Rings Chompzilla deck. Yes, uh, affectionately known as Ringzilla. Kind of, in some ways, a uh, subset of the deck known as Strikezilla, which takes advantage of the fact that Megagrow cards get to have great stats, and uh, Solar cards get to have Strike Through. So those are two great tastes that taste great together. Yeah, and credit to uh, longtime listener Gabachito for being the first person to show this deck off on Reddit and kind of blow everyone's minds because uh, Onion Rings is one of those cards that definitely looks very cool and everyone likes buffing up stats of things and like hand buffing is a very interesting mechanic, but it uh, took a little while to find out the best way to use it and like this is one of Chompzilla's coolest tricks for sure. Agreed. So uh, so we've got the data in the show notes again, like we always do. So we got 13 decks here, uh, and then we got three kind of data columns. We got the total copies of the cards summed across every deck, um, and then we have the percent of max copies available. So 13 decks, you're allowed to run four of a thing. That's 52 copies. So like if you're running 52 of something, that's 100%. If you're running 26 of something, that's 50%. You know, so you can see like how popular the cards are in terms of numbers. But then we got a new one this time which is the number of decks that are running it. So, you know, if you've got a value in every column for every deck, then you are a max out at 13. Um, And so you can sort of see how if every deck is playing a card, but they're only playing it as like a one or a two of, you know, then that's kind of everybody agreeing that this should be a one or a two of, you know. But um, if some people are choosing something as a four of, and other people are choosing something as a zero of, that's like actually a place where there's some disagreement, even though the, the, um, the actual numbers themselves might be high. And to nobody's surprise, the, uh, the only card to get 100% uh, saturation is the Onion Rings itself. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the, it's the namesake of the deck. It's a, the build aroundiest build around me that uh, ever anyone built around. But I'll be honest, I actually was pretty surprised that there was not another 100%, because the next card down on the list is the Little Buddy, the zero mana zero one, with team up that comes down and heals you two, and it's a flower. That honestly is like one of the greatest things about Onion Rings, is that you can get this zero mana four four for value in your hand, and that it like 
slots in super well to a bunch of other solar stuff. Like, you know, you get to Briar Rose someone for zero with that. Um, and there's a there's a player in here who isn't even running any copies of it. Yeah, I think the uh, the thing that stuck out to me about that is um, of that deck. I think I think listener Patrick sent that in, and it is a the only deck running Pod Fighter. And I would have thought that okay. you definitely want to include the zero mana team up creature in your Pod Fighter deck. And that just might be a case of I can only pick forty cards. Sure, I mean uh, you know listener Patrick, I would be interested to hear um, kind of some elaboration on on what the deal is there because you know the the Pod Fighter strategy is sort of another reason why someone would want to run um you know kind of like a bunch of small dudes team up dudes you know you're not running kernel pult either which is something else that i would think would go in there so um uh if you're listening throw us an email about your thoughts on this deck oh yeah and a quick little listener patrick tangent uh in response to last week's question about terrify they uh showed me a smash deck of theirs that runs terrify but they use it to feed mondo bronto because it has dino roar destroy whatever in front of this and that seems pretty cool yeah like you know move move their best thing in front of your giant nasty creature and kill it for free um that seems like a pretty good use of two mana actually terrifying yeah all right back to this yeah so um we've got some just kind of good value cards underneath there so we got bonk choy is the next most common card Bong Choi is great. It's good at trading up, you know, one cost thing with three power. Very good at killing. Uh, I mean, nowadays it's good at killing Con Man. Uh, it's also good at just kind of whatever random X3 they've got. Uh, it's good at killing Gargologist, all that business. Yeah. Uh, you definitely want to be playing that. Yeah, Arm Wrestler, Headstone Carver, Frady Cat, all kinds of things on turn one you have an immediate answer to. And it is a night, even though it's a creature, you don't feel bad about playing it before you get the onion rings off because it doesn't benefit all that much from the onion rings. It just becomes a five, four. Like, okay. So let's actually, let's back up. So what onion ring says is case. Anybody doesn't know. It's a five cost four, four that says when you play it, every plant in your hand becomes a four, four. Um, so the spiel is that you want to kind of turtle up with a bunch of cheap creatures in your hand, play onion rings, either on turn five or by ramping, getting it early. And then just kind of like, filling the board up with a bunch of one and two cost four fours. And so Bonk Choi kind of is good at doing double duty there because it's a good way to control the board in the early game by killing your opponent's early game build around me's like Gargologist and whatever. And it gets to be a one mana four four if you keep it in your hand for the for the onion rings thing. So like kind of like Lil Buddy, it really just kind of checks all the boxes for this deck. I like that there are some cards that you don't have to feel like you have to hold on to to get the onion rings value, that they're just good if you throw them out early because you need a couple of those things in this kind of deck so you don't just get steamrolled before turn five. Agreed. Uh, similarly, our next card on the list is Ketchup Mechanic, uh, our card from last week. And um, Ketchup Mechanic is that other same kind of deal where like, you need something that helps you control the board, you need something that helps you gain life. Um, Ketchup Mechanic is like, it's good if they've got a bunch of dudes. And so... Ketchup Mechanic is, is going to fill that role for you here. Yeah, this is the perfect kind of addition to this sort of deck. It's a creature, so if you Onion Rings it, it immediately turns into a 4-4 four, four and might become like a, a 3-sun 8-8, eight, eight, which is phenomenal. It still gets the buff, which is the which is a cool thing about that. It's not like it sets its power to whatever. It just says, I get plus X plus X, where X is their zombies. Um, and so it it's a, becomes a 4-4 four, four base stats instead of a 1-1, one, one, which is a good deal. I was very surprised to see this next card this high, but the next most popular card is Solar Winds, the uh, the two-minute environment that'll create a sunflower for you if there's no zombies there at the start of the turn. I think that's just the best way to ramp, honestly. Um, I think that, like, you want to ramp out your onion rings and you kind of want to do it spending as few cards as possible, um, and that Solar Winds is, like, turn three Solar Winds, um, which is, like, a reasonable thing to be able to do, means that you have five mana on turn four, and you can slam the onion rings right away. I think it also helps that on this list, there are a handful of other cards that I did not put in my Ringzilla deck, but are just good cards in general, namely Briar Rose, Elderberry, and Cobb Cannon, and all of those totally. love Solar Winds. Yeah, Cobb Cannon is, um, is kind of like a great plan B for this deck, where it's like, okay, well, I have a deck full of team-up dudes, and we got to the late game, how about I play a 6-6 that kills a guy for free. But yeah, I mean... Uh, oh, by the way, which decks are us? Um, you're deck A, I'm deck B. Uh, oh, look, I didn't play Briar Rose either. I didn't even think of it. I think it was like, at this point, 
you know, Briar Rose is good enough to put in pretty much any solar deck, and I, I just wanted a break from it. Like, let me do something else for a little while. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's not like it's 100% on message. Like, you know, um, the rest of the flower, like, scenario doesn't really line up very well with either of those things. It's pretty much just Lil Buddy that's got team up, and, you know, the other ramp flowers, you got the 2-1 the that doesn't have team up, and you've got the the super clunky like four mana three four that ramps you, um, and neither of those go really well with the onion rings strategy. Okay, I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit on that. In that twin sunflower is nice because it will take you. Oh, I forgot about that one. From two mana to five mana, which means you can play your onion rings on turn three, which is not always the best plan because ideally you want to wait until your hand is bigger, but. Right. Being able to just turbo that out will sometimes be enough to overwhelm your opponent. Uh, yeah, well, good, good on you for, for picking that up, because I did, in fact, forget that one at that time. Um, but that's actually a pretty good segue into the next card on here, which is Flourish, the, the three-mana draw two. Because, you know, the bigger your hand is when you play Onion Rings, as you just mentioned, the more effect you get. Um, and so this is a good way to, you know, if the zombie player is not putting too much pressure on you, you can kind of take turn three off and draw two. Yeah, this is one of the very few decks where running Flourish is a good idea. It might be like this and a super heavy control click P deck where you're really trying to, to draw deep, but this is the perfect kind of deck. Like, a lot of players will decry that plants don't have better ways of drawing cards other than Flourish, and uh, as Tromzilla, you kind of get the, the cheap super Flourish as one of your superpowers to just That's true. draw two sometimes on turn one, which is always great, but yeah, just being able to spend your turn three drawing two is not a big deal in this kind of deck and can also help you uh, bide your time until your opponent can make your uh, your catch-up mechanic stronger. Yeah, and it's, it's run in uh, nine out of the 13 decks here. So um, I chose not to run that, but, you know, it's like clearly the consensus is that this is a pretty good deck to be running it in. Numbers kind of vary from two, like, you know, there's some twos, some threes, some fours. Looks like the threes are maybe the most numerous. Uh, hi, it... Between two and four, definitely. Yeah. I probably would not run four of them, because you think about how many of these do you want to play before you get the Onion Rings, because say you play one on turn three, and you draw another one, and you're probably not going to play that on turn four, then you're probably going to... That's taking quite a lot of time off. Yeah, and like, if you play the Onion Rings, the flourish in your hand will not get any better, and so right. ideally you don't want to have too many of these in your hand ready to go when you when you drop the rings down uh so then our next most populous card is the umbrella leaf the zero one that gives its neighbors untrickable and so you know being a cheap team up thing uh is very good um you don't really have stuff that you want to protect in this deck the same way that you would in like a go nuts deck or some other kind of deck that like wants to keep a specific creature alive like once onion rings comes down you can kill it and the the plants stay buffed but you know it's in there just kind of like little buddy as like a good way to have Random chump blocker, random thing with team up, also great as a, you know, one cost 4-4 four, four if you can live that dream. Yeah, and also as a way to deter enemy rocket science or frozen mustache or anything like that, being able to just say, no, you know what, screw that card and screw you for playing it. Yeah, I mean, this this deck is pretty good at um, kind of overloading rocket science anyway. Like, um, you know, this deck is going to deploy a lot more 4-4s four than your average plant deck i think yeah and uh very similar to umbrella leaf is the kernel pult following it up on the list uh, as another one mana team up thing with a good effect and being able to say take a doctor space time down to zero attack or to just kill something with one health left after a trade or even playing two of them to kill a toxic waste imp is sometimes not a bad idea but just having more cheap team-up things in your hand that will eventually become 4-4s, four so you can live the dream of getting 8 power in one lane, and this is another really good case for Chompzilla being the Onion Rings hero over, say, uh, Captain Combustible, or what else have you. Being able to snipe something for one point of damage is a very good effect to have. I know that when I was building the Go Nuts Rose deck, uh, I was really worried about Fire Rooster, because if you're going to have a bunch of cheap dudes, Fire Rooster is really, really, really good at killing cheap dudes because it comes down and just deals one to its lane. Not only that, it has that um, 
the chicken thing where like when you play something in front of it, it runs out of the way. And so this is a great way to just be able to be like, just snipe it and it dies and you don't have to worry about it dealing damage to you. The Dr. Spacetime uh, angle is definitely legit as well. Yeah, and uh, one more little added effect of Chomsilla is that one of her superpowers is the, the Scorch that gives everything on the ground minus one, minus one. So zombie players will often play whatever early game threat on the Heights lane, which means that on turn one, it could kill a Heights lane cheese cutter by itself or something like that. Yeah, that's legit. Okay, so then next um, is the whole reason why we created that uh, number of decks using this column. Our next card is Sunstrike. Sunstrike is the four mana uh, magic players. will think of it as like an overrun, maybe. It gives your team strike through. Uh, so it's like your dudes can all be blocked, but they'll still get damage into the face. It's actually kind of better than overrun because strike through just deals all the damage to the face. But uh, the interesting thing about this, it's kind of a consensus that people want to play it. Uh, Ten out of the 13 decks are playing it compared to seven for Colonel Pult and five for the next one. But everybody's playing it as like a one or a two of. There's a few players with three, but nobody thinks that this kind of big clunky spell needs to be a four of. And I think that uh, I agree with them. Have you ever played it just to turn it into a different card? If I have, then it's a thing that I've blocked out because I lost that game so bad. Yeah, it is quite the struggle to be in, but it is sometimes what you got to do. And yeah, sure, you might get a tactical cuke, but you might also get an iceberg lettuce. Four mana, draw a card, do nothing um, is like basically not what I ever want to see in any deck basically ever. So, you know... um, we, we've talked about Sunstrike before. Magic players will recognize the concept of a setup cost where, like, you know, the better a card is depends on how well you're doing on the board. And those can be kind of risky and high variance to play because, like, if you're winning, it's great. And if you're losing, it sucks. Um, and it's generally more important that cards be good when you're losing than when you're winning. But something that I think that we've learned uh, over the course of doing the show is that Sunstrike doesn't actually have as high a setup cost as it looks like it does. It's very good at killing them. When the zombie player has dominated the board and the plant player just has, like, one or two things, Sunstrike is actually pretty good at stealing games. And, you know, for a play... Like, I'm only running one copy of it in mine because I'm playing a bunch of extra stuff that has Strike Through anyway. But for the people that are loading up on stuff that doesn't have Strike Through, Sunstrike is a way to kind of play both sides of the fence. Yeah, I only run Sunstrike in this deck, and then I have a Wall Knight deck that runs, like, Cop Cannon and Gravitry, and it, it works really well with Gravitry, just for the record. Oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, being able to just flip that around, say your opponent refills their board with imps or something like that, and you're able to just throw down a couple of cheap 4-4s in one lane and then give that Sunstrike and hit them for 8 damage, that is, uh, 8 is a lot. 8 is a big percentage of 20. For sure, for only one block meter hit, is uh, it's a good place to be. Exactly. All right, next on the list um, are two cards that I think exemplify kind of two different strategies. Um, and so I'll mention them together, even though they have very little to do with each other. Uh, the first one is Briar Rose. Uh, you know, everybody's favorite card they love to hate, the 4-mana 3-4 Flower Lord that says whenever a flower gets hurt, kill the thing that hurt it. And then the next one is Sage Sage, the... Uh, two cost two one that says if you made six or more sun this turn draw a card when it comes in that is an excellent late game play you know it's a great way to um especially when it's a four four comes down as a four four draws a card you know it's like a great value creature um to kind of get you towards your late game heavy hitters uh and then briar rose is kind of a different thing that says it comes down in the mid game to give you control of the board so that either you win before you have to play your heavy hitters or, you know, like, it stalls for time hard enough that you can, you know, eventually draw your Cobb Cannon or whatever. I think of Sage Sage as a card that I will put in if I can't think of anything better to put in. Because it mm. does feel kind of generic good fillery. And, of course, uh, similar to Apple Saucer, if you're playing this as a 4-4, you're going to get the added effect from that card because just of, of how numbers work. Right. It's a generically good thing in that it doesn't have any tribal synergy. And it's, you know, if you can't think of something better, you might have like a more specific plan. Like Apple Saucer gets strike through by itself. Uh, Sweet Pea and Pepper MD, which are also on the list. Like Sweet Pea moves a thing. Pepper MD is a life gain build around me. And so like if the two drop slot of your deck is occupied by something more specific, um, then that's great. But like... 
saying that you'll include Sage Sage if you can't think of anything better is kind of giving it short shrift, I think. I think a two-cost two-one that draws you a card is very good value just on the face of it, and the fact that it also kind of dovetails reasonably well with Onion Rings, I think, makes it kind of a slam dunk for this kind of deck, in my opinion. I think I would prefer having a two-cost card that was better to play on turn two, like a like a Black-Eyed Pea or an Apple Saucer, because I think being able to secure control early on is a good way to like if you if you have your opponent trying to catch up to you in the early game that makes me feel better about like say playing a flourish on turn three like i would rather try to get a two mana creature with more stats onto the field than a two one that's reasonable um you know kind of looking at the sage sage row trying to see if players that are playing it are running like more ramp than usual um, and it doesn't really look like they are, you know, they've got like maybe a random solar winds, but they're not like going deeper on, on like ramping a bunch to be able to oh, guarantee they get the benefit. I think they're all running solar winds. Yeah, they're all running solar winds, but they're not like specializing in ramp beyond that. Um, you know, which is kind of like in order for Sage Sage to never be a two cost two one that doesn't do anything. Um, you would probably have to ramp harder than these decks in the aggregate tend to do. And so it doesn't look like anybody's really, like, going as deep on ramp as that. All right, but uh, moving down the list, we have Twin Sunflower, which we talked a little bit about before as a as a way to get yourself to five quickly, but another potential 4-4 with team-up. And just being able to gain more sun is good, even in the late game. Say, if you want to be able to play that flourish and also drop a couple of big creatures on the field... Yeah, I mean, something that's interesting to me looking at this data is that there are um, two of the four players playing Twin Sunflower are not playing Briar Rose. And I would think that part of why you'd want to run Briar Rose is to be able to get extra value off of including more ramp flowers. But seemingly 50% of the field disagrees with me. Or maybe they're just sick of Briar Rose, too. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, I'm just looking at some numbers here. So, like, who knows what the deal actually is. But, you know, I would have expected a strong correlation there when there is, in fact, very minimal. And uh, next up on the list, we got a couple of strikethrough things with the Elderberry and Apple Saucer. Elderberry is really cool because it, if you evolve it, it becomes, what, a 7-4? Yeah, buddy. That's pretty cool. And it's a flower. And you can play it on turn three if you have Solar Winds. It's a great card. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, you know, pretty much the poster child for, like, strikethrough being great is that it doesn't matter if they have great creatures. You just get to deal a bunch of damage to their face kind of unim- unimpeded. And it can help you shut the door even if you don't have an Onion Rings in your hand. Just having something big late game to help you out like that is a is big help, whether it's Elderberry or Cop Cannon. Yeah, legit. Um, ditto so- uh, Apple Saucer. Apple Saucer has the two cost three two, which is kind of like fine on rate and getting strike through all on its own. Uh, means that it punches above its weight class, which is always fun to see. Yep, really solid two drop, as is Sweet Pea, which uh, one, two, three, four, five people are running, which tells me those five people are really sick of Toxic Waste Imp. Yeah, pretty much. It snipes uh, the the Fire Rooster as well. It's also pretty good at killing, you know, some... Arm Wrestler. Arm Wrestler, yeah. And uh, underneath that, we got uh, Pepper MD, which is honestly something I'm surprised to see as much as we do. It's only in three decks, but the players playing it are maxed out on it, more or less. I have a theory. Okay. One of the decks I included is the original list from Gabo Cheeto, and that ran for Pepper MDs. So I think that convinced some other people that it was a good plan, and I used to run it in mine as a two-of, but I, once again, going back to I want my two-drop to be better on turn two, took it out, but honestly... Any Chompzilla or Wall Knight deck that is running Lil Buddy has a convincing enough reason to try out Pepper MD because not only do you get the zero mana healing from that, but you also get the heal for superpower, which is another way to power it up insanely very fast. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a fine build around me, um, but I'm just kind of surprised that it doesn't look like people really built around it that hard. Like, nobody's running uh, Allosaurus, Allosaurus being kind of like the ultimate heal enabler because it heals your whole team and your face for one so like if you got three creatures that are damaged and your face is damaged pepper md is going to get plus eight plus eight and so you know that's um that's a little weird well that sounds like it's more in like a like a heal wall knight court sort of deck and if we ever if we ever do a crowd decking on that i'm sure we'll see a lot more pepper md in our submissions 
Yeah, but I mean, there's a whole bunch of other good stuff. Like, you know, kind of like, well, we'll start to speed through some of these other ones down here. But like, you know, there's a bunch of great two drops. You got random Black Eyed Pea. You got Coffee Grounds. You got Ice Spore, which is great for killing big fat things. You know, like there are there are plenty of things that you could um, include as like a value two drop that don't require so much support. And there's, you know, not a, not a super convincing case to run it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, shout out to the one person running Double Mint, by the way. Yeah, that's a talk about a value two drop. Jeez, talk about something that's great if you played as a four four. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Uh, let's see, we got Captain Cucumber next, which um, I'm a little ashamed of myself for not realizing how good of an idea putting that in was right away. Because until like two days ago, I was running a Potato Saurus instead, and was sick of turning it into a four four. And then. Yeah. I've been playing that combustible deck, which has Captain Cucumber in it, and I realized, oh, wait, this would probably like being a 4-4. This is something I can do on turn three and still feel good about it. And yeah, this card is great. And obviously, it's not as a, much of a tier one necessity core legendary as Onion Rings, but I think it's right on that tier below it as far as really good legendaries to put in this kind of deck. Agreed. And uh, I agree similarly uh, with myself, who is about to talk about Cobb Cannon, which is in the exact same number of decks in the exact same quantity um, as a great, just awesome legendary to have kind of backing your team up in this case. It is naturally bigger than a 4-4. So if you have to play Nunning Rings with this in your hand, um, you are a little bit sad about that. But the thing that's great about Cobb Cannon, of course, is the fact that it comes down and kills a thing. So given that, you know, a 6-mana six 6-6 six, six is great that because it kills a thing for free, a 6-mana 4-4 four, four that kills a thing for free is, like, honestly not that much worse. Similarly, uh, our next two cards kind of also are benefited by random sunflowers and random solar winds and stuff. We got vegetation mutation and magnifying grass. Magnifying grass being the O one that comes down and gets plus power equal to the sun you made that turn. So you play it on turn eight, it's an eight one. Another great thing to get a onion rings buff because then it's natural stats are four, four. And so instead of being a glass cannon, it's just a cannon. Yep. Uh, and then vegetation mutation is a way to get some value out of the fact that, a, Solar Winds is an environment, you're going to have dudes in it, um, and if they pave over it, there'll still be environments around. Uh, and similarly, uh, you're going to have dudes on the heights, because Colonel Pult wants to be there, and everybody's running that, pretty much. So Vegetation Mutation is a way of saying, hey, I know you're going to have random weenies, uh, here's a way to make them bigger. Yeah, sure, it's great to turn your 4-4s four into 6-6s, six but even just turning a 1-1 one, one Colonel Pult and something else into a 3-3 into a three, three and like a 4-3... Like Bonk Choi, like being able to get that much power out earlier until you can play your Onion Rings is a, a good way to put the herd on your foe. Totally. Um, so now I'm thinking uh, we can just kind of pull out some of the interesting ones because we're down in the sort of the territory where only one or two decks are playing them. So uh, I wanted to point out something that I was running as Cosmic Flower. That's a four of for me. That's the, the three cost two one with Strike Through that says Conjure a Flower. It gets Strike Through. Um, that's just saying, hey, this is a Strikezilla deck, pretty much. Uh, we're trying to put damage on their face, given that even if we do do the Onion Rings thing, um, there's a chance that we're not going to have board control. Um, that's a good way to shore that sort of thing up. And uh, one other dude agrees with me, so thank you for uh, submitting that deck. Uh, yeah, and we've also got uh, one person trying to do like a P-focused deck, running things like Torchwood and Cosmic P and Click P, which is a reasonable plan to do. And, like, you know, Torchwood, once again, another cheap team-up thing for one mana, works really well with with that kind of setup, and turning your Cosmic P into a 4-4 with Double Strike is pretty awesome, so props to that person for shaping the deck a little differently. Uh, something I think that's interesting to point out how little it shows up is Mallet. Mallet is kind of one of the premium solar removal spells, and there's only five of them in the entire set of decks, and... And three of them are mine. And three of them are yours. Um, so, like, seemingly Mallet is not considered a necessary thing by the people that submitted this deck. Okay, so here's my reasoning for putting Mallet, which is technically called Wakasambi, but no, it's Mallet. Sure, whatever. Is that, I hate Teleportation Zombie, and Chompsilla doesn't have a way to deal with Gravestones, and Teleportation Zombie first becomes a problem on turn three. So just being able to say, no, you know what, you don't get this card, and you don't get to play whatever zombie you were planning on playing during the tricks phase. And similar for Dr. Spacetime, because there, there are not a lot of ways to deal with high health stuff as Chompzilla unless you get the super duper power of eat a thing. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talked about Colonel Pult as an answer to Dr. Spacetime. Uh, really what that does is it means Dr. Spacetime no longer hits you in the face, so you don't get its conjure, but you're still getting the conjuration benefit of um, of it being there, being a lord. And, uh, of course, Colonel Pult doesn't do jack to teleportation zombie, except, I guess, stopping you from taking some bullseye damage. Yeah, and just having another thing you can feel good about playing before you get the onion rings out is nice. Just not even having to worry about the extra value of stats. Just like, nope, I'm going to use this to kill your space cowboy or your stompadon or whatever. Just to hold me over, or tanklosaurus. Like, there's a, there are plenty of really powerful targets that this will just kill that you don't have to think about. And I'm not a huge fan of Ice Spore because it runs into two big kind of drawbacks in my opinion. One of them being you can't play it in the water lane, and the other one being you can't play it in a lane where you already have a plant. Uh, those are both very true. So, so I'm not playing Ice Spore in my deck. Uh, three people chose to do so. So Ice Spore is interesting because how hard it two-for-ones yourself uh, differs depending on how late the game is going. So if you play an Ice Spore on turn three and then override it with a one-cost thing to kill whatever's in front of it, then you've spent three mana and two cards to kill whatever their cheap thing was. Uh, but later in the game, that's a lot better of a deal. If they're going to have a defensive end or a guard-throwing guard, three mana and two cards, one of which is probably a Rain and Winnie that isn't doing very much in that uh, period anyway, that's a much better trade for whatever their big fat thing is. And so I like Spore as a way to not die to your opponent's first haymaker. Yeah, also makes a wonderful partner for Elderberry. Oh, sure. As this, like, six mana, kill a thing, make a 5-4 with strike through, flip that lane entirely. That That's really nice. But also, you know, going back to playing this in the early game, if you have to play this on turn three to kill a teleportation zombie, then not only are you burning your cards, but you're also making your eventual onion rings worse because that is two more bodies out of your hand. Definitely, and I think that's probably why it's not as common of an inclusion in this deck is that, like, you know, it's even worse than usual for you to early game two for one yourself with this because um, that's just making your onion rings worse. All right. Uh, speaking of not as common an inclusion, I thought that more people would be running coffee grounds because this kind of deck lends itself to a, a sort of mentality of I like making attack really big and attacking for a whole bunch of damage at once and. Coffee Grounds lets you attack with two things with four attack twice in one lane. Like being able to double strike 4-4, four, 4-4, four, 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 do a whole bunch of damage at once. You know, maybe even on turn five if you get a Onion Rings and a little buddy on that field. And I, I thought that we would see more people running Coffee Grounds than fewer running Solar Winds, but I guess not. Coffee Grounds is one of those things where it's like, in the Captain Flameface decks that I built the other week... I said, okay, what's the best way for me to get Frenzy and Strike Through? Like, you know, Coffee Grounds is sort of like the, if I'm going to abuse the fact that I'm giving my team Strike Through, or abuse the fact that I'm giving my team plus four plus four, then giving your creature also Double Strike is like an easy place for your for your brain to go. I am a little bit surprised that it was only uh, only included in three decks, and it's like a one of, a two of, and a three of, so like that's like a a very uncommon strategy. Um, and I think it is probably just because like you can't really have a critical mass of environments in this deck. Like this deck really is all about creatures. Um, and so people probably just couldn't afford the space. I also would have thought there would have been more overlap between people running coffee grounds and people running vegetation mutation. I would agree with that too. Um, and yeah, there's, there's very little overlap, maybe even none. I think one person's running both of them. Yeah. But in that, in that, deck the vegetation mutation is a four of and the coffee grounds is a singleton so like that's clearly not plan a all right i've got two more things i want to point out and then i'm done uh first being i'm really surprised you're the only person running wingnut because zombie bonus attacks are still a horrible menace yeah um i think that that's probably just because that wingnut is super shitty to give the onion rings buff because instead of being a three seven it's a four four and that's way worse. Yeah. I just kind of did that because that, that was just a metagame call of like, hey, I want to be able to slam a creature down that's going to remain on the board for me to play a Sunstrike later or something. And will um, like give my opponent a headache if they're doing the trickster thing. 
it's interesting. Trickster decks and this Onion Rings deck kind of both want a goldfish. They kind of both want to just like as little as they have to interact with their opponent's stuff in the beginning of the game, the happier they are, because they're both trying to charge their laser. And Wingnut is a great way to sort of force the trickster to not do that. Like, you know, if you're goldfishing and your opponent's not, that means that if you get to the point where you can play your combo, your combo is going to be better. Um, and Wingnut helps kind of break serve in that way. All right. The, the last card I want to point out is one that is not actually on that list, and it is Repeat Moss. Mm. Like, I thought we would have seen somebody trying to... Uh, throw that in there you know one not only yeah sure repeat moss enjoys starting out as a 4-4 but since so many people are running sunstrike and like giving sunstrike to repeat moss sounds pretty cool but uh no one's trying to, to to live that dream in here like i thought that somebody here would have tried like the sunstrike grape power route of doing crazy onion rings things but uh, i guess not probably similar to the coffee grounds business where like you really need a critical mass of creatures and like Repeat Moss triggers on spells, um, and spells are kind of um, a hot commodity in decks like this. Mm. I'm I'm similarly shocked that there was only one person who decided to do Podfighter, um, because Podfighter kind of interacts along the same axis as Onion Rings. You want cheap dudes with team-up, and I mean, like, Captain Combustible is definitely a better place to do that, because the Kabloom cards give you so much value in like the bonus attack thing and the team up thing um but like f as we saw with the mix nuts go nuts rose deck solar's no slouch in that either um and like stuff like colonel Polt, stuff like little buddy could enable some pretty explosive pod fighter draws it was just patrick that decided to do that breaking news the cubs have two on with one out in the bottom of the six is still down by one are they good or are they bad oh they're good because it's the playoffs okay good for them all right, y'all, so that does it for us on Shroom for Two this week. Um, thanks to everybody for sending in your Ringzilla decks. We haven't picked what our next deck is going to be, but we know it's going to be a zombie deck. What? I thought you imposed your will that we're doing Valkyrie Brainstorm next. Oh, yeah, I did say that. All right, so we're doing Valkyrie Brainstorm next. Breaking news from the past. Uh, and so if you want to uh, talk to us about that or share your Valkyrie Brainstorm decks, uh, you can hit us up in the uh, Shroom for Two channel of the PVZ Heroes Discord. Or you can email us at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and while you're doing that, you can check out uh, the videos on the YouTube, which is also Shroom for Two Podcast. You see Mike's uh, forays into the uh, Ultimate League Fight Club and all the shenanigans going on in there. Yeah, there should be some new videos about that every week because this is something that lasts the entire season. So hopefully a, a never-ending stream of fun new content. But yeah, go and subscribe to us there and appreciate our sweet new avatar art. Awesome. Uh, well, until then, I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. See you next week, everybody. Boy, I sure hope the Yankees lost by the time you hear this. Doesn't everybody hate them? Yep. Yeah, they're playing their single elimination baseball game tomorrow. Against who? Uh, the Oakland Athletics. I have literally never heard of them one time. They're the team from Moneyball. Oh, okay. I've, I've heard differingly... Um, whether that movie is good or bad, that, like, stats people love it and baseball people hate it. Um, yeah, it, it takes some dramatic liberties and has, like, this whole weird plot with Brad Pitt's daughter in there in the middle, and it kind of glosses over the fact that they had a bunch of really good young pitchers that, like, were not mentioned in the movie at all. It wasn't bad, though. I actually, I saw it on a super long-ass plane ride as a double feature between that and Casablanca. Thank <music> you.